0: Place it comfortably. Um, To give this talk a title, The Critical Point, and in a way, to follow on my comments during sitting earlier this morning about um, don't stay in a relaxed kind of fantasy, stay focused. At this point in session, we're past the halfway point. And it's a point that needs a strong reminder to stay focused, right? because you can. We've all developed a, a sort of deep samadhi state. You know, there's a calmness which is there. There can be a tendency at this time to just sort of stay in that sort of relaxed state. It's quite comfortable. You know, it's not particularly any anything distressing happening or strong emotions necessarily. Um, and we can go into a into a fantasy world. Right? And if you do that, you waste it the rest of the time in sessions. It's taken you so long to build up to this point, it'd be a, be a pity to waste it once that's occurred. And um, to give a, a couple of metaphors which describe what it's like, do you know those pictures you see in wildlife programs of salmon fighting their way upstream? Do you know and they, they they're so amazing? Do you know, they jump? And they go back and they jump again and they go up and it seems like almost impossible that they could get up to their breeding ground, but they do. You know, so there's a lot of struggle getting up there. Um, but you never see the pictures of the salmon coming back down <laughs> the stream again. They're you know? like just cruising down with the flow. It's always a struggle up, you know. And it's like the first part of session is kind of like we're like the salmon going upstream. You know, there's the struggle, you know, and we. We're fighting against thoughts, you know. coming back on focus, fighting against thoughts, coming back on focus. And we get up there, and then once we've developed that samadhi power, then we're kind of like the salmon, we're flowing down the stream again, you know, row, 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 your boat gently down the stream, Mm -hmm. merrily, 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 Uh which is good. That's part of life too, is that we're going downstream and we kind of feel like we're in the flow. But it's important to stay focused. Mm -hmm. or another metaphor because I'm a sailor like the first part of of obsession is like tacking up in the wind to the, if you're racing up to the marker and it's like hard work, going side to side, beating into the wind you know, it's sort of very dramatic and then you get round the, the marker and you put your spinnaker up and you just go down and you sort of float downstream it's like that as well so that's what it's like when we've built up that Samadhi power. Is It's important that we, we, we enjoy that Samadhi power, we enjoy that peacefulness and stability that we've created, but don't squander it at all. Do you know what I think can add to it as well, to, to just bring the fact of it into focus and the impact it has on us? We've had a lot of part-timers, do you know, who have left by now and so there's, there's a smaller number of us left. And because we're social animals, social beings, there's a, there can be a slight sense of disappointment or loss that the rest of the tribe isn't here. Right? They've gone. We're, it's like we're the only little band of brothers and sisters left, you know, struggling towards the light on the hill. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So there can be a, a little bit of a, sort of a slight downer from that as well. Okay? But that's just part of the transitioning of life. You know, some people had to go, and some people can choose to stay. And we, we work with that, and we're just present with it, and acknowledge it, do you know, that that experience might come up. But this is an opportunity, the critical point, you know, when we've developed this sense of deep samadhi, is to go deeper, mm-hmm. is, to, is to deepen, put our roots down more into that experience. There can be a, a tendency at this point um, to have that experience in session. It's kind of like, yeah, the here and the here and now. Yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, I done And I had to do that. Yeah. And um, and then there's a kind of an impatient, a slight impatient driving towards the end. You know, it's like the pull of the end coming. You know, when we won't have to sit in this silly position eight hours a day and do these silly rituals and be able to be free to do what we want to do again. You know, all of that starts to come up. And uh, it's important that we stay steady in all of that. Um, another way of understanding this is looking at a Bodhi tree and how a Bodhi tree grows. When I was in Hawaii, in... Um, Maui Zendo, as well on in on the island of Maui as well as Koko Wan in Honolulu, in the time I was there, there were Bodhi trees which were planted in both of those temples. And over about a year or two that I was there, the Bodhi trees didn't seem to make much progress at all. They seemed like these pathetic little things which were little shrubs, and they just didn't seem to grow. Do you know, And I kept thinking, you know, they're, they're not going to make it, you know. They're just not thriving. And then I went back there about two or three or five years later and they're still kind of these little little shrubs that weren't, weren't sort of uh, uh, blossoming in any kind of way, or grow- getting any height. I thought, they're never going to make it, you know, you know. And then I came back about 10 years later and there were these huge trees, huge trees. But what they were doing all the time, because you couldn't see it, they were putting down their roots. And they put their, their roots, Bodhi trees, put their roots deep in the ground, and they're kind of, they're, they're organically programmed to grow downwards, grow down deep, so that they can then can hold the big branches and everything in the wind when, the, when it comes. So it didn't look like much progress was happening at all, but it was all underground, but it was happening. And then, once they put their roots down, do you know, then it started to flourish into this, this beautiful tree. Those beautiful leaves, do you know, that you can give as presents to people, right? Lovely. So in a sense, we, seshin is a way of putting down roots. You know, you can't see much happening at all. It doesn't look very flamboyant at all. But you're putting down the roots, and you're putting down the roots so that when you go back into your everyday life, the expression will come through in some way, in some way you don't even know. Right? You know like when, when the Bodhi tree grows and the Bodhi leaves grow into those beautiful leaves. In the same sense when you go back into everyday life, your, your roots will be deep in right? the Dharma and then something will express itself, like right? the tree. Another way of looking at practice too, in terms of uh, what happens moment to moment and with breathing, but each moment as it comes and goes, can be seen in a very, a very um, beautiful poem by um, uh, Raina Maria Rilke. Um, and if we go back to our little statement we I referred to in the beginning of session about listening to the whisperings of the heart, This poem is kind of like a listening to the whisperings of the heart. And it goes, it's part of a a longer poem. I am the rest between two notes Which are somehow always in discord Because death's note wants to climb over But in the dark interval reconciled They stay trembling And the song goes on beautiful. Mm -hmm. Now you could do a different version of that poem which really relates to something that we're intimately connected with during the session and that's our breathing. I am the rest between two breaths which are somehow always in discord because death's breath, the next breath one could say, wants to climb over. But in the dark interval, in the interval between breaths, reconciled, they stay trembling, and the song goes on, or life goes on. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And when we're so moment to moment, quiet as we are and focused as we are, in this opportunity to just be right in, right intimately in the moment of what our life is about, we're, we're intimately connected to that breathing in, breathing out, and that little pause between the breaths. Mm-hmm. But when we're impatient, the next breath kind of wants to come back in too quickly, you know. It's rushing towards something. They so say in the Alexander technique, end game, or end gaming. Our breathing is end gaming towards something. In the back of our minds it's when session ends. Yeah. Uh, or if it's not it's that, it's when we pay off the mortgage, do you know, or when, when we go on that holiday or whatever. But there's always something that we're getting pulled towards out of the present moment into the future. You know? Death note. Mm-hmm. But when we just hold the tension between the in-breath and the out-breath without getting pulled forward, then we rest. Right? And life goes on in harmony. Um, So what is important in terms of deepening and putting down the roots for now is what's required is is a patience towards oneself and a kindness towards oneself that will help us along the way. Now, um, those of you who've been coming to Tuesday nights will um, have recognised I've been rather uh, preoccupied with a book I read lately on called Mindlessness, um, how mindfulness has been corrupted in a narcissist culture. And as I've said in some talks, I'm not entirely happy with it as a book. But at some level, it's had quite an impact on me and and it's affirmed some of the views that I've kind of developed about practice over the years, um, that we, we do live in a culture which has been identified as being more self-preoccupied and self-focused and so on. And, um, as, and being a, a Zen teacher, I feel it strong responsibility of being true to all the ancestors who've gone before and my teacher to maintain a true practice Mm -hmm. and and to stay true to a practice which is looking within and practicing mindfulness and practicing compassion as well as self-compassion, but not in a way that compromises itself into our culture by watering it down or corrupting it. Or making it self-indulgent, and and I would feel ashamed of myself if I allowed that to happen. Um, so I want to keep on, I want to keep on target and keep the practice true um, to what it was intended to be. But in this book, the author makes it, he he affirms and validates that there is something which is called authentic mindfulness, and I think that. He would probably describe what we do here as authentic mindfulness he see john Kabat-Zinn approach to it as authentic mindfulness so he makes a distinction between something which is which is true to genuine awakening and something which just sort of feeds the comfortable ego identity that wants to maintain itself but become clear about it now. When it comes to talking about self-compassion, it's clearer to me now he doesn't make a distinction between authentic self-compassion and inauthentic self-compassion. He just sees all self-compassion as being somehow indulgent. And I want to make that distinction today. There is a way of bringing kindness to oneself or compassion to oneself which has an authenticity to it. And there's another way of doing it which can be kind of, just kind of Mm self-indulgent. And as a way of trying to understand that a little bit better, one one imaginary idea I thought of, well it may not be imaginary in some people's experience, um, but imagine that you're in a hospital, and on the hospital bed, there's a loved one of yours, you know, a family member or a friend, or whatever, and that person's dying. So and maybe, maybe they've got um, minutes to live or maybe hours to live, but they're not going to, they're not going to there's, there's no more hope. The, the doctors aren't going to cure them, they've got cancer, whatever, and they're going to die. We know that, we've given up hope. And we're there beside them, this person that we've loved through their life and we know them well. And we're there holding their hand or looking into their eyes. And our, our job as that, that, that carer, that, that partner in life is to be loving in those last few minutes of that person's life. And it's not our, our role to freak out, oh, no, I'm losing my child and my daughter, you know, and, and, and getting hysterical about it. Our job is to be calm, you know, and to have a, a loving presence towards that person in the last moments or the last hours of their life. So it requires a kind of steadiness, um, a patience, and, and a lovingness, a loving presence. Now, imagine cultivating that experience and then imagine directing that experience in towards you and directing that experience in towards you as you do meditation in this session that's not indulgent Um, that's just bringing sense of patience and um, real presence to your experience right now as you breathe in this body and live in this environment and go through the different procedures in this session. Mm -hmm. It's clear, it's very clear to all of us that self-criticism or self-loathing goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. What's not quite so clear often is indifference. Um, just having a sort of indifferent view towards like i don 't care kind of thing that that 's the near enemy of of uh, equanimity and compassion, uh, but to have a kindness towards oneself is, is not an indulgent kind of experience. What indulgence looks like is um, I'm just concerned about my own comfort and my own well-being and my own health, Do you know, that I'm OK. And, and my compassion never extends beyond that at all. It never becomes compassion towards the other. It doesn't progress beyond that point. And it's a kind of involved with a, a self-preoccupation, like trying to be perfectly comfortable, trying to be perfectly happy, um, trying to maintain some inner sense of, being in a, a little bubble where everything's sterile and fine, and protecting oneself against the outside world. That's what, that's what the indulgent version of it would look like. It doesn't have to be like that. It can just be a steady, calm, glowing kind of um, sense of uh, goodwill towards oneself, which then, if it's true, it will flow over will naturally just flow over to the way that we relate to others in our life. One of the um, patterns which is I'm, I'm reading about a lot lately that um, psychologists and psychiatrists are talking about in terms of how our, our culture is developing is that um, instead of like years ago, people assuming that themselves and other people were just basically resilient, you know, can bounce back from an adversity and get on with their life. Now, it's switched around to this, the general assumption is that everyone's fragile. Mm-hmm. And, um... The, and so therefore, if we think that everyone's fragile, everyone needs kind of coddling in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's a disappointing thing that, that that basic assumption of trusting and having confidence in our own resilience and the resilience of others um, is being corroded away by this assumption that everyone's fragile. and it, And it carries through in the way the children and are now brought up. So they do research now that shows that you know children like under under twenty are about five years behind in in maturity than the generation before it, and they they um, are more fearful of the world, more cautious, don't take risks, um, don't get their driver's license to until a lot later. Even even things which you might think are not so great. Or we might think it's a good thing. They also don't get involved in drinking alcohol or sex because they're dangerous. It even takes them longer to get into those, mature into those risk-taking behaviours as well. And they're kind of coddled in that sense that you know we've got to look after them because they're fragile little beings. Now, human beings can be fragile at times too when they're exposed to real danger, but. That's the way in which it's going. Mm-hmm. And um, it's important that authentic kindness that we give towards ourselves really comes from a place of trusting our resilience, do you know, rather than assuming that we're these fragile little <laughs> beings, do you know, that need coddled all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a distinction between an authentic kind of loving kindness or self-compassion and one which is not really skillful or helping us. It just keeps us stuck in in the bubble of the self-centered dream. So, as I said before, you know, with a lot of the part-timers having left with this little band of brothers and sisters stumbling in the dark towards the light on the hill. But remember the Buddha's words, "The, the light's not on the hill, the light's within. You know? Well, the Buddha said, be a light unto yourself. And you come back to recognizing that, that light of consciousness that's inside of you, that, that light of um, Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it. And you'll find within there is not only your, your love, but your resilience as well. Okay.